Well, last week on Rebuilders, we started talking about what it looks like to lead toward renewal, reflected on the year that has been. We are going to continue with that conversation today. What are we focusing on, Mark? We're going to continue in that conversation. We're also going to unfold, unfurl uh, a new concept um, that I think is really helpful, help you understand your part to play in the renewal that God's bringing. But I think it's going to just explain so much of the frustrations you possibly had, what's going on in the world, how we need to think about leadership, followership, renewal, uh, and how do we press into that? I, I can't do it justice in the intro, but you're just going to have to dig in and listen. Let's get into it. Welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel. How are you both today? Yeah, good. Thanks. <laughs> good. So I was waiting for you. I think you were waiting for oh, me. Oh, thank you. You absolute gentleman. <laughs> you. See, what I do is I, you know, lead off the podcast and I hope that there'll be something, some kind of rich, you know, fun, well, whatever, well, pizzazz that well, comes from both of you. I'm a bit self-conscious. Are you? Yeah, today. Oh. Why? Well, um, on our TV at home, we've got YouTube and um, it came up and recommended a podcast called Rebuilders. <laughs> and uh, one of my sons was watching it and- uh, What? <laughs> yeah, just started watching it and, and he's like, Dad, what's with your eyes? Your eyes are just darting continually. <laughs> Actually, I noticed this the other week as well. <laughs> I know. And, and um, so I'm very conscious now of my rapid eye movement. REM. Are you going to start wearing sunglasses? I should do that while I'm- <laughs> No. No. Okay, no. <laughs> um, but I honestly think it's just like there's a lot of information that I'm processing while yeah. we're doing it and, you know, that's what you're seeing. So, it's like it's like a blinking red light on a computer from the 80s. You know what? Drive, like yeah. Actually, it it helps me track what you're- where you're going. Really? Like, Yeah. All over I the can room. tell, like, well, so when I know to chime in, ah. because I can, so I'm like, I, I'm obviously intuitively doing this. I haven't actually yeah, thought yeah, about yeah. it until now. Yeah. But that's why I need to face you when we're recording because okay. I can see where you're at yeah, with yeah. your thoughts. Yeah. Well, this, is, is it- Is that a bit weird? No, no, no. This is, well, so basically do you see it like going off? Well, I haven't really thought about it, but now I think about it, I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah. Because I wonder whether there's a new thought. It's like a Well, now I'm going to be hyper aware of it this yeah. episode. Mm. Yeah. The listenership on, or the watchship, viewership on YouTube is yeah, just going to skyrocket. I'm just going to do a What's close Mark up. and his crazy eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I think like your your commuter, computer analogy works well. Like I remember I used mm. to work in IT, but the, mm. like you'd have the hard drive light yeah. or like the floppy disk light when you're like writing mm. data to floppy it. Floppy disk. Oh, look mm. at I was- oh. I was there then. Mm. Um, your eyes are the lights of a, <laughs> a floppy disk. <laughs> a floppy wow, disk. that sounds, wow. sounds like yeah. the inside of a really bad like yeah. Valentine's Day card. <laughs> Written for nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, anyway. Well, put that one um, away for February 14th next yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> At the Googleplex, they'll be, everyone will be handing them across <laughs> to each other. Uh. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, good. Um, okay. If you joined us last week, I'm just going to head on into the episode. We started talking about what it looks like to lead towards renewal, reflected on uh, the year that we've had locally here. Mm. 
Uh, we talked about what it means to have a vision for renewal. We talked about the concept of personal renewal leading to corporate change and the importance of gathering the hungry mm. um, in terms of leading towards renewal. And we're going to continue with this conversation today. Mm. Um, and we're going to start with persevering through conflict. What you mean that renewal isn't just all sunshine and lollipops, <laughs> that, uh, you know, renewal happens and everything's just wonderful. Um, yes. Yeah, I think if you read, one thing I noticed that as I sort of read through the history of awakenings, outpourings, renewals, revivals, is that, you know, often there was resistance, backlash, conflict, mm-hmm. uh, misunderstanding. Um, in January over the holidays, I read, um, I'd read biographies of uh, John Wesley before, but I read John Pollock's biography of John Wesley and we just was struck with the amount of, yeah, interpersonal conflict and strife that was happening, mm. you know, as the Great Awakening was happening in England, you know, really, uh, or this, you know, awakening in England. And, you know, I think that there is some particular dynamics that often play out that, you know, one, I think it's spiritual, um, that the enemy does not want to see God's people renewed, society rewired, and uh, for the for the kingdom, and so there is naturally a spiritual pushback that occurs in those moments. Secondly, there's a sort of changing of the hierarchy. There is earthly hierarchies, and um, when God's Spirit comes, often it refreshes institutions, it starts new ones, and uh, it also, in a sense, the anointing of God is upon individuals who perhaps didn't have a voice, didn't have a place, and and you know that has changes things mm. do you know what i mean uh you know again using wesley wesley couldn't you know preach in certain pulpits um he was banned from them you know he, he gave a sort of famous uh sermon at oxford which sort of sort of must him barred from his uh former alma mater and uh but then he gained this tremendous followership you know of people you know working class people who were sort of coming to his messages you know so it upsets the existing earthly social hierarchies uh, and that often leads to conflict uh, and, uh, yeah, and then there's a sense too that I think often the people of God are trying to discern moves, you know, is, is this of God, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, is it of, of humans or what is it? So often you get mm. people who are trying to discern what's going on. Is And also, you know, renewals and stuff can sometimes go into excess, you know, almost, you know, where they sort of the energy continues but in a human form beyond what the Holy Spirit was doing and can, you know, some of the post-history of some moves of God actually sort of turn into – uh, schisms and, uh, you know, excesses and sometimes there's great sort of mo- mo- moments of immorality or heresy after some movements of God uh, as people move beyond them in their own strength. So all that goes on. But I just wanted to, I guess, sketch out today something that I think is perhaps some of the context that we, uh, as God is renewing his church at the moment, mm. and many people feel the sort of sprigs. Sprigs is sprig a word? Sprig, sprig is a word, but I don't know if it's I'm using the right it one in this context. Um, the shoots of mm-hmm. spring, as God wants to renew his church, are appearing. Um, so to understand this, uh, this is something that I've been thinking about this year, and I did a whole series called Platforms to Pillars. Um, this year, which some people may have listened to as a sermon series, and some of the ideas, I guess, were sketched out as we move through our new neoliberalism series uh, on rebuilders. But essentially, um, I'm just going to give you a, a image, which I'm going to describe mm-hmm. for you in my best words rather than <laughs> pictures. 
So, you know, often we talk about influence um, and leadership. And if you can imagine a, a blank piece of paper and at the top of the paper, I will draw a line downwards. And this line, this axis is to describe, uh, I guess, leadership. Mm-hmm. At the very top, you would have the heights of leadership and influence. This could be people who are leading or influencing millions of people. Mm-hmm. This could be the president of Nigeria, the president of the European Union, the CEO of Microsoft, the King Charles, head of the Commonwealth, people who have an influence over a significantly large amount of people. Mm -hmm. As you go down the axes, you have people who lead, but lead less and less people from the thousands to the hundreds to tens, twenties, you know, and then maybe as you get lower to the bottom, you might have someone who at work is leading three people or perhaps a family or something. Um, So, at the very bottom is people who are not leaders, in a sense, they're followers. So you've got an axis that goes all the way from leadership in a continuum down to followers, uh, people who have no, children often have no leadership roles, or you might be someone who just at work, you've got a bunch of people above you, you're, you're a follower. Um, now, often when we're speaking about leadership, that's the sort of concept that we have. And is it correct? Absolutely. Hmm. Um, and, you know, as some of the sort of, I guess, thinking that has been done and as we've seen examples of poor leadership, uh, I think we sort of try and morally sort of look at this. Is it bad to lead that many people? Do people at the top have inordinate power compared to people at the bottom? And very much some of the sort of new moral frameworks that people are trying to bring in, trying to bring things like critical theory and stuff into almost a new culture-wide ethic um, you know, this gets put through the sort of power dynamic. And is there some truth to that? Yes. But what I want to do is I want to introduce another axis to this. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine I've got my top to bottom, leadership to fellowship axis, and uh, I'm going to introduce another one which goes horizontally rather than vertically. And uh, on the right, uh, I want you to imagine there is the word pillar. What do I mean by Pillar. Pillar is a word that we can use in any culture to describe someone who is a pillar of their community. This is often not used until someone passes away and you read an obituary in the newspaper for this person and she was an incredible pillar of the community, volunteering in multiple organisations, living selflessly, touching many lives and in a sense leaving a legacy that builds beyond Mm. um, that person. Uh, You may think of the term an elder, um, uh, an elder in a particular community. In Australia, we have, uh, you know, Indigenous eldership and when a plane lands or an acknowledgement of country is given, respect is paid to the particular elders of that particular uh, uh, First Nations group. Mm-hmm. Um, and elders are seen um, uh, uh, as people who pass on essential knowledge of Indigenous culture from one generation to the next, in a sense, knitting together the fabric of that community, that culture, and ensuring that that community doesn't disappear. Uh, cultures like Australian Indigenous culture, which have come against um, significant, um, you know, oppression at different times, and and you know, a, a history of, um, uh, I guess, being subject to uh, colonialism, which happened in our country. Um, you know, see the importance of elders because without elders passing on that, when I guess the main sort of, uh, you know. Uh, powers in a, in a, in a society, uh, not doing that, it just shows you how important elders are. Mm. Um, and so that's sort of some secular, if you like, concepts of elders, but it's a, uh, of pillars. It's, it's a word that that's used in the New Testament. You know, we see it in Revelation. 
Uh, it's spoken about in the New Testament that what God is building in the world is a, is a living temple. And the living temple actually is not held up in a sense by um, uh, stone and, and wood, that there was a stage where the dwelling place of God in the temple and tabernacle was held up by tent or, or wood or fabric. Uh, but what God's building in the world is a living temple, which is a dwelling place. And the sort of support structures of that uh, pillars are, are humans. And um, the apostles are described as pillars. These are people who play essential roles in the kingdom of God through their character, through their communion with God, through their discipleship of others, through their modeling of what a kingdom life looks like. They contribute in incredibly powerful ways. So that's my very quick uh, description of what a pillar is. Mm -hmm. So back to our thing. So we've got an axis top to bottom, leadership to fellowship, and then we've got a horizontal axis. And on the right, it's pillar, but then it goes all the way across the other side. And I'm going to have on the opposite side, the word platform. The word platform is, is a word that is used increasingly. Uh, I'm going to describe it as a frame, a mental frame. A mental frame is a way of ordering thoughts and interpreting the world. Uh, it is a approach that someone who believes that they are unlucky may experience life very different to someone who believes that they're lucky. Mm -hmm. These are mental mm -hmm. frameworks through which we uh, edit and interpret the world. And increasingly, the word platform has uh, been used. It's a word that I noticed got started to get used more and more in the last 10 years. And we're encouraged to platform ourselves. It's a way of individual, radical individualism that your needs, your wants, your desires should be platformed. Um, we also desire to self-create and to self-identify. And part of the tension becomes that traditionally that in a sense to get validation around our identity we need other people to validate our identities back to us and traditionally that was through where you were born what you did your cultural background the stories that you were part of you're part of a thick richly connected set of social ties however radical individualism fragments all of this it atomizes it so we want validation how do you do that when you're self-creating well the answer our society's come up with is, well, you platform yourself. You get people mm. to hear your mm. story. And, mm. and by being spotlighted, you will get validation back. Celebrity is one form of this, but we weren't content for just some people to be celebrities. We actually wanted uh, that sense for ourselves. So the term platform is one that you see everywhere. Authors are encouraged to build a platform. Uh, people have told that they have a voice. Since very early in school, we're told that we're unique and special and that we need to be platformed. Uh, we have social media platforms which um, promise to do this for us, mm. you know, uh, connect us to other people, but do it in a way that also puts forward our uniqueness. So what platform is, is in a sense also a way of, of leveraging um, uh, ourselves, like leveraging things. So Yuval Levin in his book, A Time to Build, speaks about the fact that increasingly in politics, in American politics, uh, many politicians go into politics not to serve the public good, but to actually build a platform. Uh, and that he talks about Senate hearings where, you know, uh, different senators or Congress people are basically, you know, given this chance that they're turning into YouTube, you know, clip, clickbait, you mm. know, so you give the killer speech and you're not really caring about the function of that Senate subcommittee and its purpose in democratic uh, processes. What you're really trying to do there is actually build leverage for yourself, get a killer line, go, go, go viral on social media. So really institutions, be their politics become simply things to platform ourselves and our personal career, individual self-actualization trajectory in the world. Okay, so let me sketch it out one more time. 
top to bottom, leadership to fellowship, and then on the right, pillars, and on the left, platform. Now, what's really interesting is, is a pillar a leader or a follower? Both, perhaps. Very good answer. Thank you. You can have a leader who acts as a pillar. They they do it in such a way that they create space for others. They leave a legacy that goes beyond themselves. Their leadership and authority comes from their character and their communion with God. Um, they have a bigger picture that they're building something. They see themselves connected to the different generations through time and, and how they act actually build strong relationships. They empower and, and champion other people. They realize that it's not just about the individual trajectory that they're on, that they're given an individual ability to, to, to create things in the world, but that's actually to build something bigger than themselves because they follow a God that's bigger than themselves. And that what they're part of is actually part of the kingdom of God advancing in the world, a sinner's saved by grace that they've received an unmerited gift and this gives them a very different way of living in the world and that shapes their leadership they are what jesus uh, modeled servant leaders uh, then you can also have followers who are the same they realize that you know they have been given a, a space and that's to serve the bigger thing so if that's putting aside the desire to lead that they're comfortable not having to have the feedback loop of a bunch of people telling them and giving them affirmation for what they do they don't need to be seen they just need to be invested in the kingdom of god because they labor before the audience of one so pillars can be someone who is the president of Singapore, uh, or they can be someone who is, yeah, a, a CEO at a corporation or the leader of a very large church or Christian uh, movement. They also can be the follower who doesn't really lead anyone. It can be the 15-year-old youth in a youth group who's just happy to serve uh, someone with that much power. Uh, but they also have spiritual, in a sense, influence and input through being a, through being a pillar. Now, in the same way, uh, on the on the other side of the axis, you can have a leader who has is also the president of Singapore, or a CEO, or a senior pastor, or the leader of a Christian organization who is really in this for platform. Mm. They see this, and their motives are mixed. And they may not even realize this themselves, but because of woundedness or pride or the flesh, they want the position of leadership as actually something which will feed something in them that is not of God and that they need that affirmation, they need that validation, that part of the reason that they are in leadership is to feed something within, which is which is unholy. And often this goes bad and this will lead to something that's very popular, the language today is as, you know, digital era that I guess things easily come to light is that uh, this is toxic leadership and there's lots of discussion about this at the moment. But then if you go down vertically on the axis on your on your far left, uh, you'll realize that also you can be a follower and be totally into platform. Mm. You see the institutions and organizations that you're part of, whether it's the nation state, your workplace, your university, the non-for-profit, not-for-profit that you're part of, or your church or ministry, as something which is a platform to deliver your wants and needs, that it's actually there to serve you. And that actually you have uh, a, a sense to assert yourself in that place. And when the leadership above you doesn't fulfill your wants and needs, because it's actually your motives are just as mixed as a person who could be higher up that uh, organizational chart, that 
you can undermine. And in a digital age, you actually have power to do that. Like gossiping and backbiting is magnified, expanded through digital means. And so um, you can become a toxic follower. <laughs> and uh, we see that in our world today. There is something which has empowered people uh, to push back. And so it's a really interesting time. And I think that this model gives us a more comprehensive vision of what's going on in the world. If we just see the problem as just the people higher up who have positions of power and that's what leads to toxicity, is there truth in that? Yes, uh, but power doesn't always lead to toxicity. Um, that actually followership can be toxic. And this is, this is what helps me too, because I've encountered situations where you catch up with someone, they're telling about a church and there's clearly a toxic leader at the head of that church and that's what's going on and that's the problem. That leader is narcissistic. They're basically coming out of the platform mentality. But then you can meet another person from an, you know, an, another, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later and there could be a church in the same community. The problem there is that there's this big push and people are using the words toxic leadership, but actually really it's toxic followership. And there's almost a rebellion, a coup against the leader at the top of that organization because mm -hmm. the people's needs and wants are not being fulfilled in that space. So one church may be experiencing toxic leadership. Another church may be experiencing toxic followership. That can be happening in a country. And I think so much of the sort of institutional uh, disequilibrialism uh, at the moment, is that a word? I reckon just go with just it. Just go with I've it. I've never heard it before, but here Chucking we are. it out there, making stuff up um, uh, that uh, we're seeing in the world is because you've got these two significant forces. What digital society has done, the platform society has done is it's empowered those who want to take a leadership position and leverage it for personal platform and gain, but it's also empowered mobs of people to also mm -hmm. attack from below. Uh, it's great for broadcasting, not always good for building. Good for tearing down, not always good for building up. So that is the context, a very long answer. That is the context to, I think, the, the, that what renewal is coming in and, 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 you know, God wanting to bring renewal in this situation, in this circumstance. So how we, how we understand that, I think is really key to going forward because, uh, yeah, it's a changed, different environment. So with that in mind, what does that actually look like to persevere? through conflict and backlash. Yeah. So I think how this will play out is in a couple of ways. Number one, that it means that one of the cut through things that God will do in such time of platform is bring humility. Mm. G.K. Chesterton in his book, his biography of Thomas Aquinas, talks about the fact that often, he says a line near the beginning where he says often, the prophet that God brings is the antidote to the illness of the age. Mm -hmm. And so it's not always a prophet, um, but uh, it's also a movement. And I actually think at the moment, it's not like there's one prophet, one great renewal leader that, that God is bringing, but he's definitely bringing a mood. One thing that as we've spoken to, you know, different people experienced the Asbury outpouring that one thing that was marked, it was, not personality driven. Mm. There was a deep sense of consecration, confession, humility. And I think that that is remarkable because that's coming in an age of deep platform society. You know, it's everywhere. So I think that what will happen is that uh, a move of God will call us to humility and that's going to come up against the desire to leverage and platform. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. The story of, again, Asbury is that they found straight away influencers, media, certain leaders turning up and wanting to leverage the renewal for their own, you know, purposes. Um, so in a sense, uh, we have people who are right to us and say, want to push into this, but I've got people above me. Uh, I may be a junior member on staff. I want to see this for my church, but there's people above who are resistant because, mm. you know, they perhaps have mixed motives that, that, that uh, this may upset the programs. It, it, it may, you know, come against what has been and, and the sort of just regulatory patterns of church life, which in moments of renewal get, often get disrupted. Um, what it also may mean is that um, people who are uh, pushing for this, that it's confrontational. I think churches that have promised unwittingly sometimes to sort of give a Christianized version of platform society where we can be highly attentive to your needs, wants, desires, opinions, agendas that we can, in a sense, offer you a Christian platforming of yourself. Uh, and that could be personal fulfillment or maybe it's just comfort in a place like Australia. I think it's often just comfort and not rocking the boat. That that can um, actually, uh, you know, shake people up. They People think that they want renewal until something starts to happen because it actually calls us to repentance and, and humility. So I think, again, We've talked about this before. I think many people who listen to this podcast are in a particular age bracket where conflict and and uh, things being contested is an indication that things are wrong, that there's a belief that if we mm. can all move together, all learn together, everyone gets a prize and that therefore renewal happen in our sort of friendship group. It's all going to be us doing this together when actually uh, I think when these things come, just as it upsets the hierarchies of the past, maybe it upsets the egalitarian of the present in the sense that there'll be people who go with you and others who won't go go with you. Mm. And that those who are trying to leverage something in a sense like moments like this are exposed. So what you'll find is that combined with a lot of the spiritual things is that conflict often happens, that misunderstanding happens. And what that requires is for the leader pressing into renewal, it requires some perseverance. Mm-hmm. It requires sometimes being unpopular, you know, and there's a chance, like I think that there's a danger to where you can be, you know, sort of in a sense in a time where, you know, you can sort of carry on and, and almost leverage. I mean, people almost leverage the sense of being unpopular sometimes as a, as a way of gaining platform. <laughs> and you can run around being a, a sort of plonker and, uh, you know, screaming revival, you know, I don't know, in the queue while you're waiting for your fish and chips at the store. And it's more disruptive than actually a move of God. But um, I think that there's something genuine when this happens that, what I've seen is I've yet to see a place where I think this happens and, and there ha- there's, I'm yet to see read historically a move of God, speak to people who've experienced a move of God where there's not some kind of conflict or contestedness that goes alongside it. Interesting, in your guys' thoughts. So just a thought on what you were sharing there and kind of tying back into one of the, the kind of points from last week of personal renewal, personal renewal leads to corporate change. Almost seeing that, those axes, um, and if you're a leader, but part of the work that God wants to do in you is renew you. And if you, if you, and often this is unseen to us, but God sees it. If he sees us in a leadership position, but on the platform side of things, he wants to actually renew us and shift us into that, that pillar 
quadrant, yes, as it yes, were. Yes. Um, and it was almost like there's this, is there a principle in that uh, that's kind of sketched out visually for us, person renewal leads to corporate change, where we actually begin to, as we move across, because there's people beneath us, they're yes. actually seeing, looking to us, seeing that shift happen and actually beginning to walk there themselves. Yes. Is that that corporate change yes. Um, yes. element? Yeah. Mm. And I think what, what I've noticed is, is twofold. I, I think there's a, there's a danger that you could fall into with, with these maxims, like, mm. you know, personal release, corporate change. There is a truth in there, absolutely. So, you know, what will probably happen is if you go on this thing, yeah, you're, you're a leader, all of a sudden you get, you know, you're leading more people, you've got more influence and God does this thing in you and um, you then, uh, you know, move towards becoming more of a pillar, you feel that call. There will be people who respond to that and in a sense what the Spirit's doing in you will you know, being, you know, mm. it's almost linked with what the spirit's doing in them, and they also will move to pillars. There'll be other people going, "Oh wow, Daniel is a bit more important now. I want to get alongside him." That mm. some of that will mm. rub off, you know, almost a halo effect. There'll be other people who will see you as a threat, you know, because what the spirit's doing in you will react against their flesh or you know the work of the enemy in their lives, and and multiple things will happen. <laughs> and I think that's what I'm trying to get at here. When, when you do this, multiple things will happen. It'll be contested mm. yep, yep. because I think that's the nature of the kingdom of God. Like the kingdom of God goes ahead and it is contested. You know, like Jesus won the ultimate victory, but there's this sort of, you know, post D-Day, just to bring it in there, see what I did there, <laughs> um, uh, uh, reality of, you know, there's still a battle going on. And uh, yeah, having nuance and discernment as you go about that's really key. Mm. And and I think also like, you know, I would say that the further you go up that leadership thing, the more influence you have, it reveals things in you. Mm. It reveals like leverage, you know, and you, you see that, you see success changes people, you know. Um, and, but also too, when you're put into moments of serving, it also reveals something in you. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, um, we look a lot at there. Are, there are certain people that I think God has, like, like in a sense, I, I think I, I think there's almost this myth in the world that's because we've got such strong cultural values now of equality and equity and egalitarianism and so on. Australia's very egalitarian. Um, that therefore influence will be equally. Distributed. Distributed. It's yeah. not, you know. Like if a well-spoken person who is good-looking and has qualifications from five major, you know, Ivy League colleges in the US and graduated from Oxford and Cambridge and comes in and speaks 17 languages and is also a star Olympic athlete, that person just will naturally have people listen to them. Now, if they come in and they're an absolute idiot, you mm -hmm. know, you, you lose. So, they're, they're just these general rules in the world of, of influence. But I think there's kingdom of God influence. So, yeah. so partially, I think that we're attuning ourselves. We're in a world where both are in play. Mm. And, and uh, you know, I think what we're trying to look at is that when renewal happens, you need to have an eye out for what is the invitation that God is, is, is calling us into that's going to move things forward. You know, there was an interesting article I read this morning, uh, this morning, and it was it was about the idea. I mean, I won't go into the whole article, but there was just a line. It talked about the idea that 
increasingly our society is delivering us things of value, like in a sense it's, you know, we have economic opportunity and and technological opportunity that people 500 years ago didn't have. But the price of that sort of almost neoliberal society we've spoken about is that it's not going to last more than two generations because demographics are declining so rapidly. And, you know, basically this person was sort of arguing we need something beyond that, you know, then moves things through the generations. And as I was reading this article, I thought this is almost, this person is not using this language, but it's almost making an argument for pillars mm. that in a sense that I think partially what's going on here is when you're leveraging for yourself, you're not investing in the tomorrow that God is bringing. Yeah. And, you know, that this person was almost arguing that from a biological sense, and I get that argument. But I think the, what the scriptures do is, you know, Israel goes from beyond being a biological entity in terms of, you know, children were born Jewish and so on to, you know, in the, then you have this vision of the church, which is a, a spiritual mm. thing, you know, so someone who never has a child can have hundreds of disciples that they've influenced and and, and passed on that, that, that way of the kingdom of God to others. So... Um, you know, I think that, that, that those are the questions. How, how I'm behaving wherever I am and whatever, whatever level that God has called me to have of influence, how I am working as a pillar, we almost need to focus on that more than that where we are in that levels. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what I was thinking about as you were sort of explaining this axis um, framework is, you know, the leader who is, um, you know, leading an entire country they, there will also be spheres in their lives where they are purely a follower, where they yes. actually don't hmm. have any influence. And the posture that they take in both of those spheres is equally important. Yes. And consistent with character and what, you know, if they're of faith, mm. what, what God is doing mm. in them. Um, and I imagine that's where those things, um, where those conflicts, internal conflicts um come into play yes. because there is often this facing of a, a disconnect between, mm. oh, I'm called to lead this way but in this sphere I don't actually have any authority, then suddenly your identity mm. is challenged and, you know, that's mm. obviously a space where where God can reveal and work mm. and renew. Um, yeah, but it's interesting to sort of think about mm. that, those two mm. ends of the spectrum. And, and also too, like I think that, when we just see all of this as a top to bottom power to lack of power dynamic, we miss out on some realities. And mm. I think the toxic followership is a, perhaps a missing piece. Um, twice I've been involved in some quite insane crowd incidents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, once, once I was, you know, part of a pitch invasion, a football match um, when I was a teenager. Um, and I just remember Hold the on. sense- when you say you were part of it, what does that yeah, mean? Where were you in this? <laughs> okay, scenario? so if full, this is full disclosure here. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was I was with some mates. Oh, look, I was sixteen, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe seventeen, and uh, it was a fi- it was a final in Australia, and uh, this is the old, um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you were you were a teenager. Yeah, okay. Go on. I was a teenager, and basically, you know, it was a very tense match. And um, the fans that I was standing with, um, the other fans basically charged us, and the fences came down, and Victoria Police Police Horse Unit came in, and you know, we we ran on the pitch at the end, and there was this sense. But I just will remember the very visceral 
adrenaline as a young man that took over my body and you're part of this crowd and I just remember having this moment where I'm like, whoa, like we could go and smash stuff. Like, like now, I, I, and you, you felt like this is not a normal dynamic. Like mm. my normal dynamic is sitting there thinking about things. When I was part of thousands of young, angry guys pumped up at the end of a final, which had gone to penalties and it was just like crazy, uh, I, I realized that, wow, I could be part of something really bad. Like I could see how people go and riot and mm. burn down buildings, you know. And I remember there's this key moment where any of us 17, I was like, I've got to think differently. I can't think like the crowd, you know. And, and Eugene Peterson has this line, crowds lie, you know. I mean, and not, later on in my 20s, I was at a protest and it was an anti-racism protest. And, and I remember like we were sort of blockading. I mean, you're getting all that, man, this is all the hidden side. <laughs> <of my laughs> so uh, and uh, we were sort of surrounding this building and trying to stop someone from speaking, which, you know, I probably think differently about my actions now. But, you know, we had, again, I met the Victoria Police horse unit. <laughs> <laughs> You've been good friends with horses. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I remember them sort of charging at us. And, and again, that sense of, you know, like you're, you're sort of in almost a medieval melee. And um, at that moment, I, I saw the power of crowds and, and mobs. Mm. And uh, there's moments where something else takes over and, you know, there was a toxicity. And I remember this guy throwing himself under the police horse, trying to get the police horse to like react and fight the cops and all that. And I remember at this moment, like, hang on, this is not what I signed up for. Mm. I signed up here to protest racism and this is turning into something else now and, and blah, blah, blah. So in both those situations, um, you know, like I could just see this moment where the mob, it wasn't a personality, the mm. mob could kick into something. And, and I see that now that that sort of, that's always been there. You go back to ancient Greece and there were mobs and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think that the the digital accelerant of social media gives that mob this power. So there is a power in being the leader, 100%. And we've seen how leaders and, and presidents and politicians and sadly pastors and, and leaders and presidents of Christian organizations have at times fallen for that. You know, it's a very old story. It goes back to King David, you know, made his errors and Saul and that. But I've also seen that I think as equally dangerous, less spoken of because we've sort of got this critical theory of power, lack of power, is that there is a tremendous power in mobs of people who don't have power. But when they join together like mm -hmm. a terrifying school of piranhas um huh. they can do tremendous damage in the world and um the answer for both is to ask how do i build at this moment mm. you know the, the 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 a city that that is beautiful and is taken and filled with community and, and connection can be burnt down in in hours by a mob mm. um so i think that there, there's toxic power in in both areas but when we be pillars individually we're called to invest in the future, but corporately, you know, pillars in an architectural sense work together. Mm. And, and I think that a singular pillar is, is, doesn't work, but a pillars with others work together. So I feel like, yeah, there's something really key that this speaks into um, that's important. I wonder if that um, connects kind of well with another point that we're going to explore, which um, when you're leading towards renewal, team culture and shared responsibility and cohesion mm. is really important. Yes. Yeah. I, um, you know, think that a team where people are working at pillars is a far healthier place than when people are leveraging. And I think this is so ingrained in us today. We've become so career-minded. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there's a sense where, 
we're called to be part of this kingdom of God work. And I think that when you are working with teams, wherever you are, whether you're someone with a lot of responsibility in that team, wherever you are in this sort of organizational chart, uh, and I think particularly those who are perhaps higher in the organizational chart, creating a space where you're all operating as pillars with still your responsibilities and still your perhaps larger remits of responsibilities is is really key. I don't know what you think, uh, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking about, I think like, I think a lot of people in our millennial generation, like, I've noticed like generally with lots of people who like six months in, they're like, I need need to find a new job. Like there's that sense of like, it's actually more about me and my career and Mm. I suppose building that platform for myself than it is establishing myself Mm. as a pillar in this organization or workplace. Or um, I think I, and I can think back to jobs prior to working here at Red Church um, where that was very much the case. And you saw, saw a high turnover of people Mm. trying to make a name for themselves, mm. not necessarily being able to do And I think that's the thing. You're not probably not going to ever really be able to do that mm. well, like be a platform in an organization, in a team. Yes. Um, mm. And because you're just, and particularly in a culture like Australia, because everyone's going to just kind of drag you back down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I've seen a lot of people burn out because of that and mm. become quite discouraged. Mm. Um, and there, I don't think there's necessarily been a, uh, an alternative narrative, for alternate narrative for people to how do I exist in, and work well in the workplace where it's mm. not just about me? Well, I think it's too. I mean, like what it is is it's an creating an idol out of the work yeah. where the work becomes your deliverer of self-actualization. Mm. Whereas I think the biblical model of a pillar is you're part of a bigger thing that God's doing in the world and your ultimate meaning comes from God yeah. who then calls you to various vocations and work. You know, So you're not looking at the various vocations and work to, to deliver that. You know, it, it, It's upwards. And yeah, again too, there is a sort of a, a dynamic that you know there's not a whole lot of people who pick up garbage who are trying to platform that. Do you know, I'm sure there is. Someone will send me some Instagram star who's like 100 million <laughs> followers who picks up garbage. But yeah, it, it, it is... It's more encouraged in certain fields than others. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if we move on to one more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, making prayer central. Yeah. Yeah. There's something so humbling about prayer. Um, even the act, I know not everyone kneels when they pray, but you know, a lot of people traditionally knelt when they pray, close their eyes bend their head, there's almost a sort of image of someone in a court coming before a king or a queen and and making themselves small. Mm. And I think in prayer, it's also that you're before God. Mm. And, you know, I think that it's very hard to, you know, I mean, Jesus did warn, you know, not to pray like the Pharisees who mm. did it ostentatiously on street corners, but to go into your prayer closet and pray. And I think there's something about that, that building a culture of prayer is I think one of the best things that you can do to build a, a culture of being pillars. Mm. We, not this week, last week, we had a series of people sharing all our different services, multiple people um, uh, of just their journey with prayer. And mm. one continuing theme came out, which was all of them said, I started this and I was expecting something almost and like, it was great, but then it just got hard and it was just, I'm sitting there going, why am I doing this? And then they all talked about this almost breakthrough point where after a while, and maybe this connects with what you were just saying, Daniel, with jobs, that 
we want the, the the platform mentality wants a higher leverage payoff very quickly, mm-hmm. you know. And when we're not getting that, and perhaps what we wanted, our our desires aren't met, our our felt needs, but then prayer intersects with our real needs, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a process where. They all said I just started to transform them after this period. And so I think that creating a culture of prayer in your church where that's normative is not just, you know, the couple of old ladies have always done this on a Tuesday night and just holding everyone up through being intercessory prayer warriors. But I actually think it's that there's something deeply humbling about prayer. And, you know, prayer is calling down the power of God because we can't do it in our own strength, realizing that the strength is a pillar. A pillar is a strong, supportive architectural device, um, but that strength has to come from God, you know. So I think pillars are people that they can't do it in their own strength. They realize God can. But through doing that, interestingly, they emanate strength Mm. because it's actually God's power and God's strength uh, moving through them. When we are weak, he is strong. I feel like that prayer, like that's that's almost an invitation to the starting point of growing as a pillar like it's because mm. it's 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 a humbling act and what you're saying there about being on your knees you're humbling mm. yourself before god mm. um which is that dying to self which i think the f- ultimate fruit of that is yes. his pillars in his kingdom yes yes yeah yeah and i think this this posture kind of leads to the last statement that we had written down which is making leading a church or leading whatever towards renewal, make it about renewal, which means yes. you're making it about Jesus. Yes, yes. And perhaps I can I can add end on a encouragement for our listeners. Mm. You know? I think there are people who uh, probably got two audiences of rebuilders. You know, we know that you're all over the world and in many different contexts and um, you know different fields and stuff like that. And we talk often about pastors, but people in all different areas listening. Mm. I'd say there's people who continue to track with us every week. There's people who jump in and out if there's a big global issue. You know, we talked about Israel and and Gaza recently. Um, so you get a bump of people who jump on because they want to understand COVID or the Ukraine war or AI or whatever we talk about that's topical. But then I think there's another group of people who've been journeying mm. and uh, you're not connected to each other but you're connected in the sense that you know we're trying to articulate, narrate something bigger that God's doing in the world and I think that – has now been over a period. I mean, we, we sort of started this in COVID and, uh, you know, we're coming to 2023. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, someone said recently, Tim Keller mentioned that after a sort of, uh, it was after 9-11, you know, it sort of took three years for New York to sort of recover. And, you know, I had similar things from in Christchurch, New Zealand, after the terrible earthquake they had there. And, you know, if you think about COVID, it was a natural disaster that we went through. It's not a natural disaster which rips down buildings. And so we're coming up to after three years of that. And so this has been a really tough period for many people. Mm. And uh, I just want to say I think I sense a number of you are feeling tired. Uh, I can identify that with myself, with everything that we've gone through this year and what, what my family's gone through too. Um, but I just want to just really just sort of name that I think that many of you um, God has actually been building into pillars. There's been a strengthening that happens through difficulty and through suffering. And I think a number of you perhaps are struggling to understand this because the cultural script that you've been given by the broader culture, and I, I'm sad to say at times even parts of the Christian culture, is that what success looks like is a big Instagram following, a conference speaking slot, a best-selling book, a being loved by many and having a platform. And 
perhaps that hasn't arrived. Perhaps you've you've come through and maybe your church has actually gotten smaller if you're pressed into this. Maybe you're in your workplace, you're feeling the increasing pressure of a post-Christian society. You're perhaps you're just feeling really disheartened about the direction of the world and you know what God what's God doing when it just things seem to be getting darker. I just really want to encourage you to have hope. Do not grow weary of doing good. The book of Galatians tells us. And you know, as we come to the end of the year, we've got a couple more episodes, but I just really want to just encourage you um, that God is growing you. This, you know, I, I, if you ever look at a highlight, you know, this often shows at the very end, Will, um, I rewatched the US office recently and uh, sort of slowly just watched through it over the- Good. Uh, Daniel is a fan. Um, uh, <laughs> I like both, I like the UK and the US office, same, you know, a respect to the original, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but at the end, they have these highlight reels, you know, and, the, you know, they're all sort of weeping and, you know, you just like, you know, I'm- pretty, you know, I think hope media savvy and, you know, not the most sappy person um, when it comes to certain things. But, you know, you get emotional, you know, watching the highlight Mm. reel, you know. And in some ways we never get to watch a highlight reel of our lives. It's this slow feed drip building. And I just want to encourage you, I think God has been building you. Um, You know, like, like, yeah, so I'm not sappy. I always end up crying on on rebuilders, but you know my voice breaks. But you know, I just think God is doing something in the world. Many of you have been laboring, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. God's building something, and and whether you see that or don't see that, uh, that you're building something towards the future. And I just want to encourage you to keep going. Uh, God is good. He is building something. Be a pillar. Don't be someone who chases platform. And there is something happening. We get the emails. There is something happening. There's people growing deeper. Maybe your mates aren't walking with you anymore. That's okay. There's a bunch of people across the world who are on a similar path. There's a bigger thing happening. Believe in that and keep following him who is walking ahead of us. We as the red team are here. We don't know you all, but we see the emails and we, we're proud of you, if we can even venture to say that, of those who've kept pressing in. Keep going.